Section 11 of the Seven Follies of Science. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording by Thomas McKenney. The Seven Follies of Science by John Finn. Section 11. The Universal Medicine and the Elixir of Life. Love of life is a characteristic of all animals, man included, and notwithstanding the fact that an occasional individual becomes so dissatisfied with his environment that he commits suicide, and also in the face of the poet's assertion that protracted life is but protracted woe. Most men and women are of the same way of thinking as Charmian, the attendant on Cleopatra, and love long life better than figs and the force of this general feeling is appealed to in the only one of the mosaic commandments to which a promise is attached the inducement for honoring father and mother being that thy days may be long in the land that the lord thy god giveth thee no wonder then that the old alchemist dreamed of a universal medicine that would not only prevent or cure sickness but that would renew the youth of the aged and the feeble for in this as in most other attempts at discovery, the wish was father to the thought that the renewal of youth in the aged was supposed to be within the ability of the magicians and gods of old. We gather from the stories of Medea and Aeson and the ivory shoulder of Pelops as referred to in Shakespeare and explained in the Shakespeare Cyclopedia. Of the form of this supposed elixir we know very little for the language of the alchemist was so vague and mystical that it is often very difficult to ascertain their meaning with any approach to certainty. The following, which is a fair sample of their metaphorical modes of expressing themselves, is found in the works of Jeber. In one of his writings he exclaims, Bring me the six lepers that I may cleanse them. Modern commentators explain this as being his mode of telling his readers that he would convert into gold the six inferior or as they were called by the alchemists, the six imperfect metals. No wonder that Dr. Johnson adopted the idea that the word gibberish owed its origin to an epithet applied to the language of Geber and his tribe. Some have claimed that the elixir and the philosopher's stone were one and the same thing, and some of the writings of the old alchemists would seem to confirm this view. Thus, at the close of a formula for preparing the philosopher's stone, Carulus Musitanus gives the following admonition. Thus, friend, you have a description of the universal medicine, not only for curing diseases and prolonging life, but also for transmuting all metals into gold. Give therefore thanks to Almighty God, who, taking pity on human calamities, has at last revealed this inestimable treasure and made it known for the benefit of all. And Brand tells us that, Nearly all the alchemists attributed the power of prolong prolonging life either to the philosopher's stone or to certain preparations of gold, imagining possibly that the permanence of that metal might be transferred to the human system. The celebrated Descartes is said to have supported such opinions. He told Sir Canelm Digby that although he would not venture to promise immortality, he was certain that life might be lengthened to the period of that of the patriarchs. His plan, however, seems to have been the very rational one of limiting all excess of diet and enjoining punctual and frugal meals. It is an old saying that history repeats itself. 
About 40 years ago, certain medical practitioners strongly urged the use of salts of gold in the treatment of disease, and great hopes were entertained in regard to their efficacy. And the Keeley gold cure for drunkards is strongly in evidence, even at the present day. On the other hand, some have held that the elixir was quite distinct from the stone by which metals might be transmuted into gold. In the second part of King Henry the Fourth, Falstaff, Act three, scene two, line three fifty five, says of Shallow, It shall go hard, but I will make him a philosopher's two stones to me. And this saying of his has given considerable trouble to the commentators. Warburton's explanation of this expression is that there was two stones, one of which was a universal medicine and the other a transmuter of base metals into gold. And in Churchyard's disclosure and commendation of those that can make gold, we read of Ramundus, who, rich sundry works as well doth yet appear of stone for gold, and shewed plain and clear a stone for health. Johnson and some others have objected to this explanation, but it seems to be evident that Falstaff meant that he would get health and wealth from shallow. He got the wealth to the extent of a thousand pounds. The intense desire which exists in the human bosom for an elixir that will cure all diseases and prolong life has made itself evident, even in recent times, and has called forth serious efforts on the part of men occupying prominent positions in the scientific world. Both in Europe and in this country, suggestions have been made of fluids which, when injected into the veins of the old and the feeble, would renew youth and impart fresh strength. But alas! The results thus far attained have been anything but gratifying, and the probabilities against success in this direction are very strong. The latest gleam of light comes from the discoveries in connection with the radioactive elements, as the reader will find on referring to Sir William Ramsey's utterance, which is given at the close of the article on the transmutation of the metals on a preceding page. End of section 11.